Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Marrow Report. The Marrow Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I want to welcome everybody to the program. I'm not going to waste any time if I don't chatter. My guest is here. Let's welcome Rabbi um, Manus Freeman, author of Creating a Life That Matters and the most popular rabbi on YouTube. How are you doing today? Thank God, doing fine. <laughs> so, I don't know if I'm the most popular rabbi. I am the most um, subscribed. Well, we'll say you are. I, I, don't, I can't make an argument for anybody else at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So, so let's take let's let's go back in time though. What made you want to be a rabbi before we get into the book and some other things? What made me want to be a rabbi? Actually, I wanted to be a teacher. And in order to be a teacher in our in our in our uh, in our philosophy, uh, you gotta you gotta study. You gotta know. And if you're studying and you know, you get ordained and you become a rabbi. But actually, I don't have a congregation. I don't serve as a rabbi to a congregation. I'm into education. But you could have, I, I, I'm going to put words in your mouth, you could have went the other direction and became a, a classroom teacher and taught, I don't know, high school for some for some one reason. That's what jumped in my mind. Yeah. But what I'm doing, I think, is a little more exciting. <laughs> and probably a little bit easier. I, 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 said, I said that, not you. <laughs> that's, that is very true. Uh, so, okay. Do this first little ad right here. Let's get after it, duckpondshop.com. Let's get after it, duckpondshop.com. Okay, so tell me about creating a life that matters. Because it, it sounds easy enough, right? I just said it. I've said it a couple times now. But what is it and how do we um, how do we get there? So to be perfectly honest, uh, every life matters whether you create something or not. So it's a little bit uh, misleading. But the point of it is, we want to feel like our life matters, not just believe it. So we know every life matters, but unless you feel it, you don't get that that grounding. You don't know where you are and where you belong and whether you're doing the right thing or you're not doing the right thing. And it leaves such a big emptiness in your mind and in your life. Like, why am I here? What am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is there anything I'm supposed to be doing? All of these huge questions that are so fundamental to life itself. So, actually, I gave all these lectures and talks, classes, and uh, Rivka Goldstein who actually wrote the book and did all the heavy lifting, she put it all together, she transcribed all the talks, broke it down into chapters, and she created what she thinks is a manual for how to raise children. Because that's what she was mainly interested in, in raising her child. And uh, she calls it the manual. The life manual. It's also kind of a, an anthology, a reference book for all the big issues in life. Like, why are we created? Who is God? What's moral? 
what happens after you die, how do you raise children, what is marriage, what is intimacy? All these huge subjects that nobody really talks about. So that's what this book is all is all about, and this is what it's for. To give you a reference book, if you want to look up any of these fundamental and important issues from a very traditional uh, wisdom source based, of course, on, on, the, on the Torah, on the Bible. I was going to say, I think we've all asked all those questions once or twice or several times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and even if we don't get an answer, the question continues to bother. It's not academic. <laughs> like, I, if I don't know why I'm here, it kind of undermines my existence. I was going to say, it seems every time I get an answer, I get more questions. I don't know. Maybe I'm just yeah. doing it wrong. <laughs> no, no. The information is not easily available. So let's get into it a little bit. Let's get into the, the weeds of this a little bit. Like, um, how do we go through discerning why we're here? I mean, because I, I think... That's a common question we all have. I mean, I think at some point we kind of settle in on something, but how do we get to, to the point of making sure? Yeah. Well, the fact is that we've been asking that question since since we learned to talk. That's an ancient question, and it never stops. Every generation. Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Like, you know, we've been here long enough to kind of settle down and get used to it. <laughs> why do we always question why we're here? We, I mean, where else do you want to be? Why, why is our very existence in need of justification? We're here. We've always been here. We're going to be here. Settle down. No, we keep asking the question. Well, you're right. I mean, there's no better place or time to be than right here, right now, because we're able to have this conversation over many miles. And um, but still, still begs the question. Okay, so but why are we here doing this then? Why are we here having this conversation? <laughs> right, right. So as long as things are going the way I want them to go, the question is kind of uh, interesting but not crucial. <laughs> as soon as things don't go the way I want them to go. All of a sudden, the question becomes intense and painful. What do I have to put up with this? Yeah. So the other the other factor is relationships, because you mentioned the relationship with a spouse, but also with children, which is fascinating to me, um, because I have two kids of my own, and I always wonder about the life and the um, upraising, I guess, for the lack of a better explanation of what I'm going for here, if I'm doing the right thing by them. Yeah, so that's really scary. Yeah, especially in the world today, right? Like, there, I mean, there's so many pitfalls around us. So, just talk, go ahead. There are actually people who don't want to have kids because they're afraid of this question. What are they going to tell their children when the children ask why we're here? It's really scary. So they avoid having children because they can't face that issue. So we really need an answer. We really, this is not academic anymore. This is, this is crucial to life itself. And then, you know, your kid says, I didn't ask to be born. You think, oh my God, what did I do? Did I mess something up here? This kid didn't, doesn't want to be born. I mean, that's hard. And he's not, he's not depressed. He's not like he's got a difficult life. He just doesn't want to clean up his room. <laughs> well, none of us do. Don't look in my room right now, okay? It's our secret. No. <laughs> so, so we never used this excuse before. I don't have to clean up my room. I didn't ask to be born. Oh, my. Now what do you say? <laughs> I was going to say, that throws you for a loop, doesn't it? No. <laughs> well, who cares why you were born? The important thing is to get your room cleaned up. No, that doesn't fly. But is, is it a good fact that kids are asking these deeper questions now instead of oh, just accepting whatever their parents beat it? I don't want to say beat into them because it has a horrible pun to it, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's wonderful. Kids are amazing today, but we got to, 
we got to catch up, you know, we got to provide the answers. Because they're going to go looking for them in some strange places. I was going to say, the answers are more available to them than they have ever been to either of us. I yes. Mean, yes. Because they're demanding it. They're ahead of us. They're precocious. So, what do you say when a child says, I didn't ask to be born? What he's saying is, how can I be responsible for anything in the world when I'm not even supposed to be here? So how is it my responsibility? My whole existence is one big mistake. So where do I become responsible to get to school, get good grades, get a good report card, graduate with honor, get into a good college, get a job, work all day long? Why? Why? No, I don't want to. I quit. I didn't ask for this. So there's this guy in India a couple of years ago who literally took his parents to court. He sued them to pay all of his bills for the rest of his life because they gave birth to him without his consent. <laughs> so <it's> <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm here, but uh, I'm just... Uh... You're doing the greatest thing ever, leaving a radio show host speechless. So go ahead, continue. No. Right. <laughs> uh, at first, it sounded funny when I heard it. You know, you didn't ask. You know, I, I was born without my consent. That's funny. But then you think about it for a minute, and it sounds so right. Like, how did I become responsible for all this work and and job and 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 bills? It's like you invited me to a very expensive restaurant, and then you tell me to pay the bill? How did that happen? So what do you say when a child says, and children are saying it these days, 10-year-olds, I didn't ask to be born. What do you say? <laughs> Too bad. You're here. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> You'll suffer I, with the rest of us. I was going to say, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask to answer that question. So, <laughs> yeah, actually, every parent should say, you know, we didn't ask to be born either. And then that's a side. Don't complain to grandma. Yeah, but grandma will say, I didn't ask to be born either. Where, where, where does the buck stop? Well, Adam and Adam Eve, and maybe. <laughs> I don't think they asked for it either. Well, then I think we've got a big, big problem. <laughs> so here's here's a fascinating but real possibility um, that that is inevitably going to become the norm in psychology and in uh, mental health. It is so true. I didn't ask to be born. The reason I didn't ask to be born is because I don't need to be born. There's absolutely no need for me to be here. I have no need. I don't need to be here. Now, this is so radical because the fear of death has been our motivation for all of history. Everything we ever accomplished, discovered, created, invented, was all because we didn't want to die. Now suddenly we're saying, hey, I didn't ask to be born. I don't need to live. So the threat of dying has kind of lost its punch. Like people do, you know, experimenting with drugs. And you say to them, you know, this could kill you. And they've, they're, they're like, so, so what's your point? It doesn't scare them. And again, not because they're suicidal or depressed. It just doesn't seem to matter. Here's, here's the sense of it. You're telling me to live my life take full responsibility, work hard and diligently so that I don't die. I should live so that I don't die. Doesn't make sense. Why do I have to live? I don't. So if I don't have to live, 
why do I have to pay bills? And if I don't have to pay bills, why do I have to go to school? <laughs> and if I don't have to go to school, why do I need to clean up my room? Well, because you're going to be in your room all the time. It has to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're stuck there because you have no place else to go and nothing else to do. If not, the, if not the rats will eat you. No. <laughs> That that is that is desperation. That that's horrible. So what is the story? Yeah. So how do we flip the script and make it go okay. back to your life that where that matters? Exactly. So the first question is: Life matters to whom? To whom? Yeah, because if it doesn't matter to the person living it, it, it. I mean, I can't convince you that your life matters. That's right. So, the real question is, how does life matter? If it's only to me, I want to have a life that matters to me, that itself is depressing, and that's narcissism. Is that as good as it gets? There's got to be more to it than that. So, let's make this kind of an argument. When a person says, I need, I need, is confusing himself because it's not true. Deep down inside, we don't need anything. We are free of all needs. We need nothing. Because if I don't need to be born, then I don't need to eat Why, why must I eat? Well, if you don't eat, you're going to die. Yeah, and? And then what? So what? And again, I'm not depressed. I like, I like life. I'm enjoying myself. But if I ask the question, I, I don't have an answer. I have, to, I have to live because otherwise I'll be dead. And if I'll be dead, no good. What's What's not good? See, we're getting down to such fundamental issues here. So, it is not true that I need to eat. Eating is necessary to stay alive. But is staying alive necessary? I can't think of why. So, I, it's not true that I need to eat. The need to eat is not mine. I didn't ask for it. I, I don't agree with it. I don't I don't want to need to eat. I want to be able to stop eating, but I can't. So first of all, that's not a need. That's a handicap. It's a handicap that I have to stop every couple of hours and go eat something. And at the end of the day, I have to stop everything and go to sleep. I didn't ask for this. I don't like this. This is not a good plan. It's handicaps that were imposed on me. I didn't choose them. I didn't ask for them. I don't agree with them. A human being shouldn't have to eat. Animals eat. We're not animals. Yeah, but try going without food. Doesn't work. Well, who did this to me? So it's not correct to say, I need to eat. What I really need is to be free of eating. Free of that dependency. I mean, imagine this brain surgeon is in the middle of some very delicate surgery, and he needs to save the patient. No, no, he needs to go to sleep. It's been eight hours already. <laughs> That's that's a handicap. I don't like it. So, does a surgeon need to sleep? He needs to eat? No, he's a surgeon. He needs to finish the surgery. But he can't. You know, the pilot has to stop flying the plane at a certain hour because he got it. he needs to go to sleep. So, here's here's really the punchline. It's not true that we are needy. Human beings are not needy. 
It is true that we are needed. I am not needy, I am necessary. I am needed. By whom? Well, whoever created me. Because I didn't ask, I didn't lobby for this, I didn't demand this, I didn't deserve this. I was created by a creator. Obviously, the creator needs me. Wow, this does two amazing things. First of all, it unburdens me. None of this is my problem. I don't, I don't need to eat. I don't need to sleep. I don't need to succeed. I don't need love. I don't need success. I don't need anything. Because if I wasn't here, I wouldn't mind at all. On the other hand, I really have to be here because I am necessary. Necessary in the big plan of creation. In the creator's view, I am necessary. So it gives me a very good reason to live without any burden at all. Not about me. It's about what I can do for someone else. Boy, that sounds so much better. It does. And then you start getting, you start helping others and. Yes. It always yes. goes forward and it becomes. Uh huh. I, I start, I'm starting to see the train coming through the tunnel here. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. yeah. It's so much more enjoyable to serve someone else than to serve myself. So all this pop psychology about put yourself first, love yourself, validate yourself, enjoy yourself, that's boring. And if I have to make lunch for myself, I'll skip lunch. I don't too 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 much of a too much of a hassle. If there's some leftovers from yesterday, I'll eat it. Otherwise, I'll just skip lunch. But if you call and say you want to come over for lunch, now we got a party. I'll cook up a storm. So much more enjoyable to do for someone else. But you know, the modern thinking is no, you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta think about yourself. You gotta satisfy yourself. You gotta love yourself. It's narcissism and we're drowning in it. We hate it. <laughs> I think that's what people mean when they say, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, they say, leave me alone, everybody leaves. And they get upset. <laughs> you ask to be left alone. They didn't mean abandoned. <laughs> they meant leave the me out of it. Enough about me. Stop it. I am me, whatever that is. Enough Enough said. Tell me why I'm here. Who can I serve? How am I needed? Don't talk about me. Me, I'm choking on me. So can I throw a twist on you right now because it's popping in my sure. mind? Because you're talking about serving other people, but there becomes these, um, trying to find the word. I don't want to say toxic, but you'll know what I'm talking about. People that abuse your service to them. How do you, how do we deal with that? Yeah. There are many people who claim that they served others for years and years and years, and they're totally frustrated. They're totally disillusioned because nothing good came of it. They feel that they were used, taken advantage of, that they must have very low self-esteem, you know, to put others before themselves so that they neglect their own needs. All of that argument, doesn't that, doesn't that imply that the only reason I took care of you, the only reason I was good to you, is because I was expecting something in return? And when that didn't happen, I regret everything I did. I'm not suggesting that the only way to get what you need is by giving people what they need. I'm suggesting you don't need anything. 
the joy in life is to take care of others, to be of service. That's life. Taking care of myself is just survival. And I don't see the point in just surviving. So unless somebody needs me, unless I'm needed, I don't need this. And then I won't get I won't get bored, I won't get drained, and I won't get disillusioned if I give myself completely to others. I actually heard a husband, you know, I do some marriage counseling. I actually heard a husband say, I don't know if he realized what he was saying. He says, I have been good to my wife for eight years, and I've got nothing to show for it. (laughs) What are you supposed to have to show for it? Let's see. You've been good to your wife for eight years. You should have, what, a halo? (laughs) At least maybe a... uh... Multicolor dream coat. No. <laughs> yeah. What should you have if you've been good to your wife for eight years? Yeah, there's no. <laughs> you should have a happy. You should have a happy wife. Yeah, <laughs> but there's no um, nothing you can order off Amazon. I guess is what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, what were you expecting? I'm good to my wife. I expect her to be happy. What What else do you expect? A medal? <laughs> a free a free subscription to Life magazine? Like what? So obviously he was good to if he was good to his wife for those eight years. It was all conditional. Yeah. He was He was good to her for eight years, thinking that now she'll be good to him for 16 years. (laughs) I'm not good at math, but... (laughs) That's a good investment. Yeah. (laughs) Good return on investment, if you can get it. Um, Before we jump into some other things, um, tell tell people where they could find you and find the books. And I know you have a great website, so I want to give you a chance to promote that before we get too far gone. (laughs) Okay, it's easy to remember. The website is... It's good to know.org. It's good to know.org. And like, I'll, I'll vouch for it. You've got all your books and, and videos and uh, just a, a, a great resource over there for people who are enjoying this conversation so far. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So I, I, I'm ready to jump. I'm going to shift gear here. Shift gears here brought to you mm-hmm. by Evergreen Podcast. Shifting gears brought to you by Evergreen Podcast. Now I want to get into heaven and hell. Um, Okay. What, what, what do you, when you, when I say hell, what jumps to your mind? The fiery place with the devil, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go on. We've all seen, we've I was going to say, we've all seen the images, but I, I'm pretty sure you're, you're laughing and grinning, so you got more to tell me. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the first thing is what part of you goes to hell? Your body? No, your body is dead. It won't feel any pain if you burn it, which you shouldn't do. But if you do, if you cremate, the body feels nothing. So who suffers in hell? Your soul? You can burn your soul over a barbecue fire? Come on, it's a soul. I've burnt my hand a few times on a barbecue. Oh, wait, never mind. Continue. (laughs) It can affect your soul, but you can't burn the soul. So what are we talking about? The only way that a soul can burn is with shame. Shame is described as burning. Your face gets all red and flaming hot. Shame. It's not the body that feels shame. It's the soul. So what is hell? Hell means if you come back to the world of souls, which is where the soul came from, but you don't look like a soul, you don't sound like a soul, you don't smell like a soul, it's embarrassing. That's hell. Who goes to hell? The worst of the worst sinners? 
I kind of get a feeling that they don't even go to hell. Because hell is a rehabilitation. There is no hell that is simply vengeful. Hell is a process by which you burn off the embarrassing stuff. And that cleanses you, and now you're ready for heaven. Heaven means a soul among souls. Heaven. But when the soul is not comfortable being a soul, because it got so used to being a body, that's embarrassing. <laughs> that's like you know going to prayer in a synagogue, and you don't read Hebrew, and you don't know which book to use. That's very awkward, very embarrassing, right? You're in a synagogue, you're Jewish, it's where you belong, but you have no idea what to do when you get there. That's hell. <laughs> how, how long does, a per, does it take for a soul to adjust? You know, to forget all the body's pleasures and enjoy the pleasures of being a soul. How long will that take? 12 months, maximum. Maximum. Most people fall somewhere between an hour and 12 months. <laughs> so what is hell? Hell is not a place. It's an experience. Hell is the embarrassment that you experience on your way to heaven. You've never been stuck in rush hour traffic before, have you? <laughs> no, oh, that that is real hell. <laughs> yeah. So the way to really express it is to say you don't go to hell, you go through hell. And yes, you can experience it while you're alive in a body. Yeah, I was just thinking most people deal with that while they're alive. The well, you yes. say embarrassment and the, the 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 test of the flame. I mean, I think we've all had those moments that we've at least felt that. Yeah, and for the soul, if I don't know why I'm here, my soul is, is in hell. It doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know where it belongs. That, that's, that's very painful for a soul, even while it's in the body. Yeah, that's... So the correct way to say it is, getting to heaven can be hell. <laughs> so everybody goes through some adjustment, it's a big, it's a big change. It's a cultural shock. Here you're engaged in the pursuit of the body's pleasures, and all of a sudden the body is gone. Those pleasures are gone. You're a soul without a body. You used to be good at it, but now you're awkward. You got to readjust to being a soul. That embarrassment can be over within an hour if you never got really stuck to the body. But if you were if you were completely merged with the body, it'll take a little longer to detach. So the maximum is 12 months. Then you're cleansed, you're free of the impressions of, uh, of the physical and of the body, and you're a good soul, good to go. That's heaven. It's good to know. <laughs> it's good to know about org. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see what you did there. I see. I even wasn't even thinking about that. I was just blurting things out. Uh, <laughs> so a little bit of story time here. Um, obviously, I'm a Christian, been for my whole life, but going to church when I was a young young man, I was probably about ten or twelve, and uh, or eleven, I guess. There's a number in the middle there. <laughs> And uh, my my church had a speaker from Jews for Jesus, and I, it kind of threw me for a minute because, well, I didn't realize Jesus was a Jew until I heard them talking about it, and then I thought, well, why aren't I a Jew then? Because that's what he was following, and it kind of threw me for a spiral, especially being at that age where, again, we were talking about young people earlier having all these questions and nothing necessarily lining up. So how do you how do you look at that? I mean, 
You're, well, you're older and wiser than me, and I still haven't wrapped my head around this all. Uh, I think the crucial sentence, the only way to the Father is through me, um, has it been successful? Have people gotten to the Father? I don't think so. I mean, the way people think, even when you get to heaven, who greets you? Not God. The Son, not the Father. When do you get to the Father? Do you ever get to the Father? Judaism says, you don't need anyone to connect you to your Father. If God is your Father, then you have your relationship with Him, and there's no need for an intermediary. The thing is, we never understood God. We never studied God. We were told to believe in Him, which is good. It's not exactly closeness. It's not a relationship. So we believe in God, but we can't communicate with Him. Because we don't know him, we don't know how to talk to him. That's why we felt that we needed an intermediary. But once you get to know God, you don't need an intermediary. So who is it who needs me in this world? Not the Son, the Father. Ooh, if the Father needs me, We've got a relationship going here. I thought I needed him, and he couldn't be bothered with me. But if that's not true, then I can pursue a relationship with him without an intermediary. So I may need an inspirer. I may need a a coach, a teacher, even a, a prophet but I don't need an intermediary. It's God who needs me. Well, just tell me what he needs, and I'm ready to go. So you see, we've turned everything upside down. For thousands of years, we suffered under the impression that we, human beings, are needy, fragile, at a disadvantage, in trouble all the time, totally dependent, and we need to be on our knees all the time, begging God to be nice to us because he really doesn't care much unless you're a saint and unless you cry your heart out to him. So he needs nothing. I am totally dependent and needy. That has been the story for thousands of years. It's not true. It's the opposite. I have no needs because I didn't ask to be created. The creator who bothers to create a universe, don't tell me he has no need. (laughs) So this is all about the creator. It's all about God. He's personally deeply invested because there is something he wants, needs, desires worth creating a universe for. Boy, if I can help him out in that, my life is exciting. Certainly justified. That's a pretty big commitment compared to us uh, talking about raising a child. Yep. And that's how you raise a child, by the way. Raising a child means move the child from the me monster to the serving. I I use a very simple example. You say to your child, it's time to go to sleep. It's bedtime. Child says, I don't want to. I don't want to go to sleep. What do you say? You say, all right, I understand you don't want to, but it's time, and uh, when it's time, you go. So the crucial word is but. You don't want to, 
but it is bedtime. That word is so powerful if we think about it. I don't want to go to work. I hate my job. But I need to support my family, so I go. What does that word mean when we say, but? Literally, when you think about it, it means your opinion and your desire and your willingness is irrelevant. It's time to go to sleep. But I don't want to. (laughs) You may want to or not want to. It's time. So we're we're literally peeling the child away from his narcissism. You do things even when you don't want to. Why? Because it's not about you. You can't say that to a four-year-old. So you, you keep it subtle. Say, yes, but it's time. Yes, but it's not your toy. You can't take it home. No, I want I want it. You want it, but you can't have it. See, so really when we're raising children, knowingly or unknowingly, we've always done that. We've always subtly, gently introduced the idea to the child. It's not about what you want or don't want, what you think or don't think, what you understand or don't understand. There's a big truth out there. So don't get stuck in yourself because that's tiny. It's only like pop psychology or modern psychology that turned it around and said, no, 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 you're the most important. What you want is absolutely necessary. You've got to get what you want. And that has made us tiny little people. So I want to throw another one at you here. I've kind of got this other thing that I've been battling with my kids, so you're, you're going to have to be my pop psychologist. Bad pun. Uh, <laughs> they they say they love things. I, I've always taught them to love people and like things, but sometimes they still slip and say, I love the the computer. What You know, you know what I'm talking about. All these things, these things that mm-hmm. aren't. So am I on the right track there? Absolutely. And And the word love is being so abused. It has become cheapened to where it's meaningless. When a child says, I love my mommy and Mickey Mouse and Barney and ice cream and not necessarily in that order. (laughs) (laughs) The word love has lost all its meaning. If you love your mother the way you love Barney, you're in trouble. But he loves you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Mickey Mouse who loves you. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's really sad how we we juvenilize our children. So, is it true I love ice cream? It's not even correct. I enjoy ice cream. Ice cream is a pleasure to eat. It has nothing to do with love. Love is interpersonal. You can't have an interpersonal relationship with ice cream. Or with Mickey Mouse. Or with nature. You can't love flowers. Because they don't love you back. So love should be reserved to a desire for closeness with someone who could share that desire. Could. Could not. So you love someone who may or may not love you back. But a tree can't love you back. And a dog can't help but love you back. So love should be reserved for human beings or God. 
God can love you back or not. So what about the, uh, you know, Ten Commandments? I got the, I'm always fascinated by this one because we build statues for politicians and sports stars and on and on and on. Isn't that putting a false idol out there? It borders on it for sure. So building statues to people is um, a little a little questionable unless you use it for a practical, uh, you know, you hang your coat on it. <laughs> and it's obviously not, not being worshipped. Feel like I'm so missing, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like I'm missing something that I wanted to ask you, but go ahead. I think you're on to something here, so go ahead. Somehow when we make statues of people, we have to make it in such a way that it is clear that this is not a perfect image of the person, and therefore it's flawed, and if it's flawed, then you don't worship it. It's not God. So if it's just a bust, uh, you don't you don't serve a a severed head. <laughs> you know, if the feet are not miss are missing, if the fingers are not there, any any imperfection, and it's obviously not going to be worshipped. So, is it enough that there are no eyeballs? <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's obviously not a complete human being because there are no eyes. So we uh, often around here talk about paranormal things like ghosts and aliens mm-hmm. and UFOs. Where, where, where is the Jewish faith on all that fun stuff? I don't think there's any question but that there are other forms of life. I mean, we know there are angels. What are they? extraterrestrial beings. They're not earth beings. And everybody's comfortable with that. But then depicting angels like they're human beings, that's false. That's misleading. So are there aliens on other planets? Yeah, not little people with green skin. (laughs) Oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> there are other forms of life. I don't know if they're intelligent. I don't know if they're looking to communicate with us. That's pure speculation. But are there other forms of life? Well, of course. There are creatures of the sea. There are creatures of earth. There are creatures of heaven. There are creatures of earth. So do other planets have some kind of life on them? I hope so. But I hear the voice in the back of my head screaming, well, if there's angels, there has to be demons then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. If there are positive forces that are not physical, then there must also be negative forces that are not physical. Like anger. <laughs> Ego. What's the opposite, what's the opposite of ego though? I, I followed I followed anger there for a second. I got happiness, but ego is kind. Of, I mean selflessness, I guess. But I mean ego scales off such a a higher level. You can't see my hands, so I'm doing this big flappy ego thing over here. But selflessness kind of seems not to have that same scale. Or am I missing something? Well, selflessness is is uh, is underappreciated. We think of selflessness as kind of a loser. But really, it's a very powerful human being. If I were free of ego, I would be indestructible. If I wasn't caught up in that me monster, I could do so much more. But you don't seem like you're caught up in it. Oh, I mean, based based on a... 50-minute conversation so far and some of the stuff I've watched. Now, <laughs> it's like any talent that I don't have is probably because I tried it once 
It was embarrassing, and I won't try it again. That's ego. Try again. Ah, embarrassing. But we're not supposed to be good at everything. We're all supposed to be different and have tools to... Yeah, but there are so many talents that we have that we will never use because the first time we tried it, our ego took a beating. Hmm. (laughs) So it creates all sorts of fears and hesitations and securities. Without that, we would be open to anything, everything. Why not? Give it a shot. We had to overcome some of those fears because you're the most popular bishop on rap or on on rabbi on YouTube. <laughs> Almost got that tongue twister out straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The truth is, I was very, very uh, introverted. Could not speak in front of people. I'm talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> if there were two people in the room, I couldn't talk. So I certainly got over that one. But there are plenty of others. But I think we have to overcome all, at some level. There's nothing that we try the first time goes well. I don't think. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Unless you're really gifted. Well, none of us are. I, don't, I mean, well, I've never found anything that I was really good at the first time. I mean, I've been doing this show for 11 years, and I'm still trying to figure it out. So we'll... <laughs> and doctors are still practicing. That's for sure. No. Lawyers <laughs> are practicing. You know, they'll, they'll never get it right. We won't. <laughs> practice law. They practice medicine. A little humility wouldn't hurt at all. Well, especially in those two fields. No. <laughs> in any field. Politics. Oh, boy. Yeah. You mentioned hell earlier. <laughs> if there was a real place, well, anyways, we're not going to say which place it would be, but it right. may be a political capital of the United States. No. <laughs> I think being a lifelong politician is hell. I can't imagine. Nobody's meant to be. I think the original plan by the founding fathers was that people should be senators or congresspeople representing their district for two years. Never more than two years. And then go back to being a normal human being. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. if... Get a farm, raise a little cattle, you know, do something useful. They, they fool themselves into saying they're public servants, right? Yeah. And that kind of falls into what we're, we were talking about, how we're trying to help others. But I don't think... Well, yeah, two years. Yeah. Two years, you give it your best shot, you accomplish the most you're going to accomplish. And after that, it's pretty much downhill for most politicians. Boy, we're... Oh. I just looked at the time. We're almost out of time. Good thing I looked. <laughs> so as we're getting close, um, tell me something. Uh, I struggled to put words to this because we've talked about parents and couples. and But I want to relate to, uh, how do I say this gingerly, the older generation being in the middle, right? Because I've got my parents are still around and my kids are here. But as I look at my mom and trying to help her through this this point in her life. What do you got for me? <laughs> we help we help our parents in very practical ways. Doing chores for them, running errands for them. That's how we honor them. But when it comes to wisdom and maturity, of course they're way ahead of us. So on the one hand, you honor their maturity by learning from them and then you honor their parenting by running errands for them they gave you your existence would be right for you to make their existence a little easier but the wisdom the wisdom of the older generation is they've pretty much gotten past their me monster and now they're nurturers. To be a nurturer, you got to get rid of your me monster. The mother who's always checking to see if she's a good mother is not a good mother. <laughs> she's not there for the kids. She's trying to be a good mother for her own ego satisfaction. Kids are frustrated. 
They feel it. They know it. A really good mother is a real nurturer. And a nurturer is not trying to prove anything. Doesn't need to prove anything. Intimacy, by the way, is the, the other subject in the book. <clears throat> the art of intimacy is the art of getting past all things. As you were saying to your children, don't love things. Not even things about your spouse. Keep going. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested now. You got me. Go ahead. Because um, I'm, what I'm thinking about, I've, I've, but I, you're you're going a different route. Because I'm thinking things, but you're you're talking about something else. Yeah, not not physical things, not limited to physical things. But for example, um, your your spouse's love. That's not physical. That's not tangible anyway. If that's if that's what you want, is her love then you're married to the love and not to her. So love is a thing. You can have it, not have it. You can have more, you can have less. It's a thing. So if you marry for love, then you're marrying the love, not the person. Like marrying a, marrying a, a woman for her money. Love is exactly the same. I married you for your money. You lost the money. I don't need you. I married you for your love. You don't love me. I don't need you. So this husband who said to me, I love everything about my wife. I said, do you love her? He says, everything about her. I said, do you love her? Not about her. He says, what does that mean? <laughs> what is her if you take all the things away? That's sad. Because I can guarantee that his wife feels completely alone in the world. Because nobody is connected to her. He married her because her money, her body, her love, her family, her sense of humor, her strength of character, everything but her. Take those things away. What do I need her for? So she feels that someplace, and she knows that the her is alone in the world. And that's that's literally dangerous. Feeling alone in the world weakens your immune system. Makes you vulnerable to every disease making its rounds. So intimacy means I can merge with you by removing all things so it's just me and you. No thing between us. So I've got one quick question for you, and then we'll be out of time. And it's a wild one, so I've be prepared here. I, I, what's your favorite breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Who has time for breakfast? Oh come on! You you've got you 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 eat breakfast once in a while. Yeah, around twelve o'clock. <laughs> Well, what is so we it could, though? <laughs> we, could call, we could call it brunch. Okay. Well, what's your favorite brunch then? What? 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 Well, okay. Say I was coming over. What are you cooking for me? Okay, it's not eggs and bacon. <laughs> I figured that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, eggs and locks. Okay. We could do that. Well, hey, we've got to do this again. Thank you for blowing my mind. So maybe next time I could keep up a little bit better. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. And that's uh, Rabbi Marcus, or Manus Freeman. Wow, he is just, uh, like I said, just blowing my mind today. So I hope you enjoyed that. I mean, I did. Um, deep, heavy. 
Uh, we like that around here, so we're going to keep that going. I think we're we're on to something here, so we're blessed. Uh, be in service, guys. That's what it's all about. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 